lucky like so many people didn't have the opportunity that we had. Surveying the damage, private tours promise for evacuees who've lost everything and the favorable conditions giving firefighters the edge. Plus, one to three people a day that are having issues with vehicles uh, using the alternate route. Detour dangers, drivers reporting hazards after using an alternate route. The timeline on when Highway 97 may reopen. And then just stationary and stuff be a lot more pricey than what I'd expect it to be. Can we get a price check? How inflation is impacting this year's back to school shopping. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Hundreds made their way home this weekend to shoe swap communities that were once under an evacuation order over the past couple of weeks due to the Adams Complex fire. But the return for many affected residents is far from a return to normal. Cassidy Moscone reports. Evacuated twice, the shoe swap fire threat literally at her doorstep. Here's some of the back of our property up that ravine and there is the house. Courtney Carlin hopes this time she's home for good. Still standing. We are so lucky, like so many people didn't have the opportunity that we had. Um, my in-law's house in Silisco just got taken out so quickly. Um, there's so many friends on the other side of the lake Houses are gone. The Sorrento mother, one of hundreds who got the all clear to come home Saturday night, signs the Adams Complex wildfire is slowly easing, but the work is far from over. It's kind of like shock and grief and um, confusion. And um, I mean, anything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And Every day you just wake up and there's new things to deal with. We lost about 27 kilometres of power lines, 430 poles and 66 pieces of other equipment that all needs to be replaced. And there are more than 150 workers right now on the ground working to restore power to our customers. We're seeing very good progress on both of these fires. Um, obviously, the, the weather in the last couple of days have helped um, tremendously. BC wildfire crews mopping up. It's repetitive, tedious work. Um, but it does need to be done um, because it's uh, if we get a turnaround again in weather where it starts to heat up, it's like having a holdover fire and those areas can become active again. On Saturday, more than 900 properties and estimated 1,700 people were given the all clear. More than 10,000 people remain under evacuation order or alert. In the heat of those crucial moments, Courtney says residents felt left in the dark. The way things were going, like we just felt clueless. And the only way I got information was the community members. The regional district now vowing to stand by them. We're here. We're here to try to help you through this process. Promising private tours for residents who have lost everything. Cassidy Moscone, Global News.
Evacuation orders have now been issued south of Burns Lake due to a wildfire. The orders come from the Cheslada Carrier Nation and Regional District of Bulkley, Nechaco, due to the Wells Creek Fire, which now covers 79 kilometers and is listed as out of control. The Francois Lake Ferry will provide additional service between Highway 45 and Keefe's Landing Road and is providing 24-hour shuttle service. Evacuees are urged to register at the emergency support services in Houston. Yesterday, behavior drastically increased. There was some wind as well as very low relative humidity levels. There's structure protection being put in place on properties, um, and they're also continuing to monitor that fire for more spotting to the north. A second new evacuation order has been issued in the northern part of the province, this time by the Fort Nelson First Nation. People on the IR Number no. 5 Snake River Reserve have been told to leave the area immediately due to wildfire. Evacuees are advised to leave via Sierra Yoyo Destin Road and follow all road directions. So at this time, there are no crews assigned to the, the G91739 fire. Just because of the fire activity and the fire behavior, it's not safe for us to put crews directly actioning that fire. Um, so when we have uh, the opportunity with weather conditions, and right now we do have a, a, a cold front uh, coming down through the, the north in Fort Nelson, down into our Peace and, and Dawson Creek area. So flying is just not uh, kind of conducive or safe. One of the largest wildfires in northern B.C. is now mapped at more than 48,000 hectares. The Little Blue River fire is burning just south of the B.C.-Yukon border. Wind caused it to jump Highway 37. Crews are now clearing debris from the road and putting out nearby hotspots. Despite the growth, officials say fire behavior decreased significantly yesterday and through the night. And one more wildfire to tell you about. An evacuation order has been issued for the Great Beaver Lake wildfire. That's about 100 kilometers north of Prince George. People in the areas of Bugle Lake, Tureen Lake and Mole Lake are being told to leave immediately. This wildfire has been burning since mid-July. This is the second evacuation order connected to it. The last one was on July 12th. And both strong winds along with smoky skies are continuing to be concerns for many B.C. communities this long weekend. Meteorologist Yvonne Schell joining us with more on that, Yvonne. And the big concern, thank you so much, Krista, and good evening, everyone, is a cold front that's sweeping along the northeastern corners of the province. We're seeing it for Fort Nelson and the Peace. We've even seen some lightning strikes, and we're still tracking the potential and the risk of thunderstorms this evening. We've also seen those winds pick up. We've still got a special weather statement that remains in effect. We've got a north-to-northwesterly wind. They'll shift through the day, but with that northerly wind that we were seeing it caused those uh, fires to pick up across the region and it'll shift but a few spots with the special weather statement could still see some of those gusts picking up to 60 kilometers per hour this evening and then they should start to ease off but that smoke still widespread all areas that are in gray will still continue to track the smoke over the next 24 hours that extends all the way in towards the central half of the province there is a nice reprieve in the break as uh, forecast rather as we get in through the week more coming up very shortly krista all right thanks so much yvonne now to the latest on the Grouse Complex wildfire, which is still burning out of control near West Kelowna. The BC Wildfire Service posting an update saying there has been progress in moving the fire away from urban areas. And the fire has now transitioned into a wildland fire in the mountains. Particularly the, the challenging aspect that we're having to this fire now is the southwest corner and the west side of it, which is above the Powers Creek drainage. 
We have the combination of extreme slopes, cliff edge, um, very challenging areas to work for crews, but also for any limit, very limited and heavy equipment operations. And Powers is, is just the, a scenario that we, we're, we're trying to avoid it getting into the actual drainage itself. We're not there yet. Um, we're working it quite hard with the aviation assets you see behind us um, you know, and the ground crews too, but we are into a different phase of the fire now. BC Wildfire Service says with the long-range forecast still showing temperatures in the mid to high 20s for the rest of September, crews will be fighting this wildfire for weeks to come. A wildfire burning in Metro Vancouver is now considered to be contained. The Metro Vancouver Regional District says crews were successful containing the blaze burning in the Coquitlam watershed. No flames are visible and there is very limited smoke. The wildfire remains classified as a smoldering ground fire, but officials say the risk of it spreading is very low. Crews are responding to the Nomad Creek wildfire in the Lillooet fire zone. It's about five kilometers east of Bra Lorne on the north side of the Kingdom Lake Forest Service Road. The fire was first spotted on Saturday afternoon and the cause is under investigation. Now here's a look at the provincial picture when it comes to the wildfires burning across BC. As of Sunday afternoon, there are more than 430 active fires. 15 are considered fires of note, meaning they're highly visible or pose a possible threat to public safety. Seven new fires were sparked in the last 24 hours. 204 are considered out of control. And we've set yet another dubious milestone with our record-breaking wildfire season. The BC Wildfire Service now says the total area of hectares burned has surpassed 2.2 million this year. It blows past the previous record of 1.3 million hectares burned set back in 2018. And people in the Wilden neighborhood in Kelowna have put together a thank you video for firefighters who saved their community from disaster. We couldn't be more grateful for all your dedication. Thank you firefighters for helping us get home. On August 17th, the McDougal Creek wildfire jumped Okanagan Lake, igniting a new fire near Clifton Road. The area was evacuated. Some people with door cams checked in on their houses multiple times a day and sometimes found a firefighter giving them a friendly wave. A week later, residents were able to return home, many to find the fire had scorched their backyards, but not a single home in the Wilden community was lost. Air Canada confirming two of its aircraft clipped each other at Vancouver International Airport today. In a statement, the airline says an Air Canada Rouge Airbus A319 aircraft and Jazz Air Canada Express Q400 aircraft made contact on the tarmac at YVR this afternoon while being pushed back from the gate. The Rouge, the Rouge plane's wingtip made contact with that of the Q400, which is parked at a nearby gate. There were no injuries to customers or ground personnel. Customers on both flights will travel to their final destinations on other aircraft today, adding there will be several hours of delay. Drivers thinking of heading out on one of the unpaved detours to get around the closure on Highway 97 at Summerland are being asked to be cautious and prepared. A tire company in the Okanagan says it's seen a spike in flat tires from people coming off the service road. Victoria Famia reports.
What is normally the off season for tire shops before the transition into winter has been quite busy. The highways definitely created some issues uh, through the long weekend. Um, but the alternate route's a little rougher on tires. Forest Service Road 201 is one of the few ways to get around the closure on Highway 97 at Summerland after a rock slide came down early last week. But the problem with this bumpy, unpaved detour is that it can be hard on vehicles, leaving them with flat tires. We're finding definitely that, um, you know, we've come across a, at least uh, one to three people a day that are having issues with vehicles uh, using the alternate route. In a phone call, a towing company in Penticton told Global News it has responded to at least four calls on that road since the highway closure. But according to the Ministry of Transportation, it's being maintained, saying crews will be working through the weekend to do further grading and dust control work on the gravel roads. Additional signage has been installed and the routes will be patrolled 24 hours a day, adding that further updates should be expected after the long weekend. And staff at Cal Tire aren't advising people not to take the detour, just to be prepared. They've done some signage, some uh, grading and stuff like that, but we, we have seen some, uh, you know, a number of flat tires. Many of the tires are kind of towards the end of life. So that, that could be a, uh, you know, indicator that, uh, you know, you may come into some troubles with, you know, rougher roads and sharper rocks, mainly, mainly sharp rocks have been the most of the issue. The 201 is one of two unpaved detours, the second being Trout, Maine to Peachland, and taking them can add as much as 90 minutes of travel time. Before heading out onto the 201, motorists should make sure their tires are in good enough shape to handle sharp rocks and potholes and make sure you have a full tank of gas and expect no self-service for almost the entire stretch of the highway. Victoria Famia, Global News. BC Ferry says foot passenger traffic was up Saturday compared to the same day last year, but staffing shortages are forcing the cancellation of some more sailings. More than 51,000 passengers traveled on the major routes between Vancouver Island and the Lower Mainland, a 4% increase over 2022. Two sailings have already been canceled tomorrow, the 5.35 a.m. departing Saltry Bay and the a.m. departing Earl's Cove. That's after evening sailing Saturday on that same route were also cancelled. BC Ferries is warning tomorrow is expected to be very busy and is asking travelers to consider walking on the vessel or moving their trip to Tuesday. Coming up, pricey back to school shopping. How families are preparing for the new school year with the high cost of inflation and where shoppers can find the biggest break. Plus, Coming up clutch in a stunning comeback, Canada knocks out Spain, punching their ticket to the 2024 Summer Olympic Games in France. Stay with us. For tens of thousands of families across BC, this long weekend is being spent preparing for the return to class with the start of another school year only days away. But this time, more and more people are getting an early economics lesson when it comes to the impact of inflation on their wallet. Grace Key reports. 
This is actually not that bad of a price. Bernice Chong is checking out some cooking items for UBC residents. As an international student, she notices some big price differences in Canada compared with back home. I'm from Hong Kong. Okay. Back in Hong Kong, I mean, obviously, the lack of tax. Yeah. That makes things a lot cheaper. Just stationary and stuff being a lot more pricey than what I'd expect it to be. At London Drug, staff are busy tacking on the sale prices for back-to-school items. With rising mortgage rates and inflation, families are looking for deals more than ever and thinking twice about spending. 73% of Canadians tell us that they plan to spend $50 or more this back-to-school shopping season. Um, that's down a little bit from last year, about 3.5% from last year. It indicates that people are being careful. They're concerned about their mortgage costs and other expenses. If you're buying stationery, you'll be paying almost 13% more this year compared with 12 months earlier, according to Statistics Canada. Clothes are running below the pace of inflation from primary students to teens. If you're in the market for a laptop, you'll get the biggest break. Electronics went down 10.5%. You'll be paying 8% more for bread when packing a lunch. Yeah, there's no 2023. Learning specialist Colbinder Baines is on the market for a personal agenda. She's noticed prices have gone up over the years for back-to-school items. I try to be sensible, less impulsive. So I will shop around. I will look for a deal. I won't necessarily buy something at full price when I know it might go on sale in the future. So I'll, I will resist a bit more. Printers, the school usually has them. So I wouldn't spend my money on this. Though shoppers are getting the biggest break with electronics, most plan to put off the purchases for higher-priced items. Cost-saving strategies as more people are feeling the financial pinch. Grace Key, Global News. UBC is standing by its decision over recent changes at the university's housing services. Last month, 24-7 front desk staffing in residence buildings was ended in favor of mobile overnight teams. UBC Residents Life and Administration says the change was made because of staffing issues. In a letter posted to Reddit, students raised concerns about their safety when help is needed, calling for desks to remain staffed overnight. We're very concerned about the possibility that like in the middle of winter, somebody locks themselves out of their room uh, and they can't contact their RA or they can't find their RA and they have to go like searching around in the winter for one of these like public blue phones. For many of our front desks were open 24 hours a day with a staffed uh, member at those, at those desks. We've recently shifted to having our front desks open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. And then overnight we close the desk, but we've, we've incorporated some um, mobile units, uh, three different mobile units that, that are on campus in different areas of campus that to, um, to uh, and, and students know those phone numbers, they can reach out to them for access if, they, if, they, uh, if they're locked out or for any other situations that, that may arise. There's some that are feeling that we're taking away some, uh, some, some safety or, or some aspects of, of what we offer in residence. Actually, we, we feel and when we talk to students in, you know, in detail about this, that we feel we're actually enhancing the experience, we're enhancing their, uh, their safety, and, and it's a really good system. So we're, we're confident in it. UBC has 15 residences at its Point Grey campus, housing more than 13,000 students. 
A Vancouver charity that supports new parents and their babies says it can't keep up with the rising demand of breast pumps. Baby Go Round says the number of new moms asking for breast pumps has skyrocketed recently, partly due to the increasing cost and shortage of baby formula, as well as the increasing cost of the pumps themselves. Executive Director, Director Megan Newfeld says the charity is now having to make some tough decisions. The number of families who have come to us looking for help with a breast pump or infant formula has gone up 70% over last year, which is a huge increase. And unfortunately, we have had to start turning people away. We have to pay for breast pumps. They're not something that we can take gently used. And the cost has gone up to about $160 a piece. Baby Go Round has had to implement an additional criteria for families to qualify and sometimes a lactation consultant or another method will be revisited before the charity can support them. After the break, relief in Hay River, favorable winds and rain in the forecast, the latest on the firefight and what officials say about our timeline to return home. Plus. It is wonderful to have my losses honored. Marking 25 years since the deadly Swiss aircraft, the ceremony in Nova Scotia to remember the 229 lives lost. Stormy weather is being embraced in Hay River Northwest Territories where steady rainfall is helping to keep a nearby wildfire at bay. Favorable winds and lower temperatures are also helping, but the fire is still raging just a half kilometer away from the town. It also burned within 100 meters of the only highway into the community, but emergency crews managed to keep it from getting closer. The Hay River fire has burned about 463,000 hectares of land so far. That rain doesn't mean residents of Hay River and other smaller communities outside Yellowknife will be heading home soon. Mason DePetty has more on the ongoing efforts to protect those communities. Well, a large portion of evacuees will be able to head back to their homes in Yellowknife later this week. Thousands of others will have to wait longer as wildfires continue to rage outside their communities. Evacuees like Braden Lamb, who is now starting post-secondary without his belongings. You know, that, that is the really disappointing part, not being able to grab all the stuff I really needed. Not having a car down here. It, 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 just, it was a big curveball. When updating Yellowknifers on the re-entry plan Saturday, Northwest Territory officials made it clear people from other parts of the territory should still stay away and not try to enter the northern capital. Given the limited, limited services that have been mentioned uh, in the city as residents return, no supports will be available in the form of evacuation centres or evacuation accommodations. Most of the communities still under evacuation are in the South Slave region, which includes Hay River, Fort Smith and Enterprise. The territory's fire service says heavy winds have been a challenge, but they've been able to hold the fires. And you know, we can chalk that up to good work done by both those teams over the past few weeks to have things like fuel breaks, to have things like sprinkler systems and the like in place. The fire outside Hay River remains just one and a half kilometers from the downtown area. Despite weather challenges, improved visibility has allowed fire crews to attack it from the air. Every time the fire worked to make an advance, we were able to pound it back uh, with our aircraft, which were finally able to fly as much as we wanted them to under better visibility. A hard fought fight to save communities loved by their residents. I'm looking so forward to it. I just want to, I want to go home. Mason DePetit, Global News. 
It's been 25 years since Swiss Air Flight 111 crashed off the shore of Nova Scotia. A ceremony was held today at the memorial site in Peggy's Cove, where families, dignitaries and members of Canadian Armed Forces joined to honour the 229 passengers and crew who perished. Vanessa Wright reports. Dignitaries, members of the Canadian Armed Forces and families joined in remembrance of a difficult milestone. On September 2nd, 1998, at 10.31 p.m., Swiss Air Flight 111 crashed into the waters of St. Margaret's Bay. In an instant, 229 lives were lost. 25 years ago, Swiss Air Flight 111 was making its way from New York to Geneva, Switzerland, but was diverted to Halifax after an electrical fire in the ceiling filled the plane with smoke, dumping fuel into the ocean as it went down. I remember walking into Hangar B and, and a look of shock and um, horror on you know, you know, on everybody's faces. It was very chaotic picture, very large warehouse room and everybody running around. One of the objectives of the ceremony at Peggy's Cove was to commemorate the heroic efforts of those who were on the front lines of what began as a search and rescue, but quickly turned into a search and recovery. And they exemplified selflessness during a time of high emotional intensity and enormous operational adversity. And for the families... This was the last photo I took of my father about six weeks before the crash. Coming back to where it all happened is where grief turns to healing. All of the unidentifiable remains are buried there, so that's really the only grave I have. Claire Mortimer's father, John Mortimer, and her stepmother were passengers on the flight. She now lives in Maine, but visits the site often. I feel like this is a place where people understand what have gone through in ways that people back home really don't. As the ceremony came to a close, one by one, the community laid flowers in honor of the victims. And lay the roses on the Vanessa Wright, Global News, Peggy's Cove, Nova Scotia. Coming up, tragedy at Burning Man. The death investigation at the festival as thousands remain trapped in the desert after heavy rain and flooding. Stormy weather is being embraced in Hay River Northwest Territories where steady rainfall is helping to keep a nearby wildfire at bay. Favorable winds and lower temperatures are also helping, but the fire is still raging just a half kilometer away from the town. It also burned within 100 meters of the only highway into the community, but emergency crews managed to keep it from getting closer. The Hay River fire has burned about 463,000 hectares of land so far. That rain doesn't mean residents of Hay River and other smaller communities outside Yellowknife will be heading home soon. Mason DePetty has more on the ongoing efforts to protect those communities. Well, a large portion of evacuees will be able to head back to their homes in Yellowknife later this week. Thousands of others will have to wait longer as wildfires continue to rage outside their communities. Evacuees like Braden Lamb, who is now starting post-secondary without his belongings. Yeah, that, that is the really disappointing part, not being able to grab all the stuff I really needed. Not having a car down here. It, 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 just, it was a big curveball. When updating yellow knifers on the re-entry plan Saturday, Northwest Territory officials made it clear people from other parts of the territory should still stay away and not try to enter the northern capital. 
given the limited limited services that have been mentioned uh, in the city as residents return, no supports will be available in the form of evacuation centers or evacuation accommodations. Most of the communities still under evacuation are in the South Slave region, which includes Hay River, Fort Smith and Enterprise. The territory's fire service says heavy winds have been a challenge, but they've been able to hold the fires. And, you know, we can chalk that up to good work done by both those teams over the past few weeks to have things like fuel breaks, to have things like sprinkler systems and the like in place. The fire outside Hay River remains just one and a half kilometers from the downtown area. Despite weather challenges, improved visibility has allowed fire crews to attack it from the air. Every time the fire worked to make an advance, we were able to pound it back uh, with our aircraft which were finally able to fly as much as we wanted them to under better visibility. A hard-fought fight to save communities loved by their residents. I'm looking so forward to it. I just want, I want to go home. Mason DePetit, Global News. It's been 25 years since Swiss Air Flight 111 crashed off the shore of Nova Scotia. A ceremony was held today at the memorial site in Peggy's Cove, where families, dignitaries and members of Canadian Armed Forces joined to honour the 229 passengers and crew who perished. Vanessa Wright reports. Dignitaries, members of the Canadian Armed Forces, and families joined in remembrance of a difficult milestone. On September 2nd, 1998, at 10.31 p.m., Swiss Air Flight 111 crashed into the waters of St. Margaret's Bay. In an instant, 229 lives were lost. 25 years ago, Swiss Air Flight 111 was making its way from New York to Geneva, Switzerland, but was diverted to Halifax after an electrical fire in the ceiling filled the plane with smoke, dumping fuel into the ocean as it went down. I remember walking into Hangar B and, and a look of shock and um, horror on you know, you know, on everybody's faces. It was very chaotic picture, very large warehouse room and everybody running around. One of the objectives of the ceremony at Peggy's Cove was to commemorate the heroic efforts of those who were on the front lines of what began as a search and rescue, but quickly turned into a search and recovery. And they exemplified selflessness during a time of high emotional intensity and enormous operational adversity. And for the families... This was the last photo I took of my father about six weeks before the crash. Coming back to where it all happened is where grief turns to healing. All of the unidentifiable remains are buried there, so that's really the only grave I have. Claire Mortimer's father, John Mortimer, and her stepmother were passengers on the flight. She now lives in Maine, but visits the site often. I feel like this is a place where people understand what have gone through in ways that people back home really don't. As the ceremony came to a close, one by one, the community laid flowers in honor of the victims. Vanessa Wright, Global News, Peggy's Cove, Nova Scotia. Coming up, tragedy at Burning Man. The death investigation at the festival as thousands remain trapped in the desert after heavy rain and flooding.
New infectious COVID-19 subvariants are here. We know vaccines are key to helping stop the spread and preventing hospitals from being overwhelmed again, but we don't have new boosters yet and we don't know when we'll get them. Global's Nathaniel Dove has advice on how to navigate the uncertainty. Very soon, students will be back in the classrooms and older Canadians will return to work from summer vacation. But more time indoors could bring an increase in transmission of COVID and other viruses. With new subvariants circulating, you may be wondering when is the best time to get a booster shot. A bioethicist says Canadians need health advice from the officials that led us through the pandemic. And I do understand this is not 2020. Having said that, I think we're getting an incredible lack of clarity as to what should occur. The country's National Vaccine Advisory Committee has said there will be updated boosters targeting the latest variants in the fall, but Health Canada hasn't said when they'll be available to Canadians. This doctor is hoping for a rise, not a wave in cases, but says that depends on the shots being available. My hope is that's going to happen in September. If it happens in September, that might that 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 could help us really stem the tide. Most people can get one of the jabs available now, but if you want a new one, you'll need to wait. The advisory committee says booster doses need to be at least six months after your last shot or infection, whichever is later. If you're not at higher risk, this epidemiologist says hold off for now. I think uh, waiting for that new formulation of the booster dose. Um, in the fall will be the way to go because, um, you know, because they already have enough immunity. Health Canada told Global News approval and availability depends on many factors. Muhadrin says Canadians need the new formulations as soon as possible because any COVID infection is still serious and hospitalizations are rising once again. Nathaniel Dove, Global News. Still ahead, Canada advancing to the Olympics. The dramatic comeback by the nation's men's basketball team. Very delay has those highlights you don't want to miss. Be there when rivals become teammates at the Labour Cup. Don't miss your chance to see six of the best men's tennis players from Europe. Six of their counterparts from the rest of the world over three days of intense team competition. Visit LaborCup.com for more information. Don't miss Lionel Richie coming to Rogers Arena. His 2023 Sing a Song All Night Long tour includes very special guests, Earth, Wind and Fire, on September 12th. Tickets are on sale now. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Shell. In partnership with Labor Cup, it's tennis like you've never seen it before. September 22nd through the 24th at Rogers Arena in Vancouver. Details at LaborCup.com. Okay, Barry Delay is it now. Barry, so much excitement for the men's basketball team yes, today. That's right. Gosh. It was a great day for basketball mm-hmm. in this country. Maybe one of the biggest wins ever. I think one of the biggest. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Krista. Canada has had its share of heartbreak, I'd say, the last decade trying to qualify their men's basketball team for the Olympics. Truthfully, they choked away chances in 2016 and 2020 to qualify. They should have got there, but did not. And after gagging against Brazil the other day at the World Cup in Indonesia, Canada put itself in the unenviable position of having to knock off number one ranked Spain, the defending World Cup champs, or get eliminated from the World Cup of Basketball and a spot at the Olympics next year in Paris. But these Canadian boys wouldn't be denied just when it looked absolutely hopeless. Canada pulled off a big comeback 
to punch their ticket to the Olympics for the first time in 24 years. Canada captain Kelly Olynyk before the game. He's been a part of enough heartbreak over the years playing for Canada. Decent start for the team. R.J. Barrett had a hot start. 12 points in the first quarter. It was 21 all after one. Second quarter, Dylan Brooks with the drive and the scoop shot. A lot of offense from Brooks, a great defensive specialist. More on uh, that later, tied at 28. But then Brooks crosses the line with his intensity, which he often does. Watch this, gives the forearm to the uh, face. It's an unsportsmanlike foul. Two free throws plus possession. It was a seven-point swing for Spain, and they went on a 15-5 run to close out the half. They led by 10 at the break. Spain hadn't blown a double-digit halftime lead this century. Third quarter, Canada, though, comes out strong. Dwight Powell with the tip in. Canada on a 17-5 run, led by three. Olenek struggled in the first half, didn't make a shot, but then hit a couple of big threes just a few seconds apart to keep Canada close. But again, Spain closed the quarter on a 14-3 run. Usman Garuba with the big alley-oop jam. It looked grim. Canada down 12 after three, but they dig in, and it's Dylan Brooks, the emotional leader who led the way, knocks down the three. Cut the lead down to four, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander does his thing. So talented. Basket and foul. So crafty with the dribble and the layup there. So Canada down one with under two to go. And then it's Dylan Brooks one more time. Another clutch three. 22 big points for Brooks, and he kept his composure. That was the key. And he was still a beast on defense. Forces the turnover on the baseline. Spain have no answers for Canada's heart. Under a minute left, and it's Gilgis Alexander. Silky smooth jumper. He had 30 points, hit six free throws down the stretch, and Canada by two. It's nice to have one of the best in the world on your side. Final seconds, Spain down three. Desperation heave, and it is no good, and Canada does it. They knock off the number one ranked team, but they go to the quarterfinals. Most importantly, they qualify for the Olympics in Paris next summer. Emotional times for Olenek and Powell, two warriors for Canada over the years. They meet Luka Doncic and Slovenia in the quarters on Wednesday. And the Lions can actually enjoy uh, last night's 34-25 victory in Montreal for the next while because they get the bye next week and don't play again until September 16th when they host Ottawa. It was a big win for a lot of reasons. They get back within two points of first place Winnipeg, but just as importantly, it gets them back on track to the kind of football they were playing in the first half of the season. This was a great statement for us. Um, having two losses, like you said, um, we came out here with great energy. That was the big focus all during the week. And uh, we did it. Our defense had made stops when they needed to. Offense, we drove the ball when we needed to. Special teams took the field, man. It was just a, a total team win. Super proud of the guys. You know, our, our spirit on the sideline was more typical of what it is. And I don't know if we've had that the last couple of weeks. So that, that was the number one thing. I said, you got that. And then, you know, this comes down to making plays. And, you know, we made more at the end that uh, mattered and got it done. All right, CFL tonight, Bombers and Riders in their annual Labor Day clash in Regina. Sold out Mosaic Stadium, as usual, full of green-clad Rider fans. Second quarter, 3-0 Riders, Jake Dolagala to Mitchell Pickton, makes the juggling catch, takes it down to the five. Riders punched it in for the touchdown a couple plays later. They led 10-0, but the Bombers respond. Zach Kolaros rolling out, drops it perfectly for Drew Wolitarski. 
who lays out. That's a great catch. 34-yard touchdown. Winnipeg within three at 10-7. Jump to the third quarter now. Riders by 10 or by 9. Brady Oliveira with the five-yard touchdown run. And the Bombers have kind of taken over a bit. 24-20 now. Winnipeg late in the fourth. Like the Lions, the Whitecaps get a break in their busy schedule. Vancouver won't play again until Saturday, September 16th in Toronto. The Whitecaps still have four more road games to go on this marathon trip, but they are off to a great start with two wins and a draw, and they are a solid sixth place in the West, but just three points out of second. So the Caps look good to not only make the playoffs, but maybe get into a higher seed that would give them the extra home game in the first round. English Premiership Arsenal and Manchester United. Always a great atmosphere at the Gunners home park. United strike first. Marcus Rashford outnumbered by Arsenal defenders, but uh, makes his own space. Curls one into the far corner. One no man United, but Arsenal respond just a minute and a half later. Martin Odegaard steps into this one and booms the left footer. Pass to Andre Onana. It's 1-1. Stays that way until second half stoppage time off the corner. Declan Rice has all the time in the world to knock it down, settle it, and fire it home. It's his uh, first goal as a member of Arsenal. And Arsenal win this one 3-1. Baseball today. Blue Jays in desperate need of a win against the lowly Rockies in Denver. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. This is always a good sign. That one is out of there in about two seconds flat. A rope home run is 21st to make it 1-0. And then it's the rookie Spencer Horowitz who drills his first career major league home run. Smashes it to deep right. 2-2. He had three hits on the day. The Jays call-ups have done a great job with the, the likes of Chapman and Bichette on the injured list. And speaking of rookies, how about Davis Schneider? The former Vancouver Canadian continues to get key hits. Doubles to left. Scores of Vladdy. Jays went up 5-3. Colorado tied it, but with the rain coming down in the ninth, Whit Merrifield with a clutch two-out hit scores uh, Mason McCoy, the pinch runner, and they win at 7-5 to remain a game and a half back of Texas in the wild card. Just 25 games to go for the Jays. Formula One Italian Grand Prix from Monza. Ferrari's Carlos Sainz starting from the pole today. Max Verstappen winning in the Netherlands last week to extend his checkered flag win streak to nine straight. Sainz kept Verstappen at bay for the first 14 laps, but on the 15th, Verstappen makes his move, hard charging. This was wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing, and he will finally overtake signs after they went at it for most of that 15th lap. And a bit of a mistake on the hairpin when signs breaks lock up, and Verstappen will pull away, and he will get into the lead. And uh, after that, it was clear sailing for the Dutchman. Makes F1 history by winning his 10th straight race Finishes 16 seconds ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez. Sainz was third. Charles Leclerc fourth. Lance Stroll way back in 16. Ten straight wins now for Verstappen. And we'll finish with tennis. U.S. Uh, open round of 16. American teenager Coco Goff, the sixth seed, taking on Denmark's Caroline Wozniacki back in tennis after a three-year break where she had two babies. Goff serving for the opening set, gets to the net, and the putaway takes it 6-3. Wozniacki did take the second, but Goff reeled off the final six games of the match, uh, again rushing the net and getting the putaway. So she's on her way to the quarters where she will likely meet top seed Iga Swiatek in doubles. Layla Annie Fernandez and Taylor Townsend advance to the quarters as well. And that is it for sports. Again, next basketball Wednesday morning, 
5.30 against uh, Slovenia. How awesome were those highlights? It was great. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I did them. Not that. It was just a great game. You did a great job. Thanks, Barry. Well, still to come, Ed Sheeran, we know, has broken several records during his musical career. Now he's broken a new one at BC Place. This program is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. Visit jmins.com. Okay, no Taylor Swift, no problem for Vancouver after superstar Ed Sheeran broke BC Place's attendance record last night. Well, Yvonne Shell at 65,000 and 60 fans. I was the one. I was the 61. (laughs) We're on hand to see Ed Sheeran last night. That number shatters the previous record held by U2 in 2009, which drew nearly 64,000 fans. It's believed that this may be short-lived, though. The stadium will play host to three more big names later this month, including Beyonce, the Queen Beyonce, and Coldplay. So I do agree with that. I think Beyonce and Coldplay will. Yvonne, have you been whistling Ed Sheeran's? <laughs> I'm surprised I still have a voice with many, but it was incredible. It was packed it was good, yeah. for the fans that were there. Um, traffic maybe at the end was a little bit of a different weather story, a different story rather, but it was worth it. It was good. Oh, yeah. oh great. Great time. <laughs> okay. Uh, and last check of weather? Uh, we are going to see a few showers for tomorrow, and then we'll rebound into some sunshine through the week. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, and have a good night.